0: So pastors Benjamin and Sonny Robinson are our our spiritual oversight. So they are Suki and I's pastors and um, they are amazing and glorious and wonderful people. We've walked with them for, I don't know, six or seven, six years, six or seven years, yeah. And man, they have just been a life source to us on all spectrums from prayer to theology to marriage counseling to personal moments of crises and just a good friend. So I want to invite my spiritual father and good friend up to bless us with the word. Let's welcome him as he comes. All right. Good evening. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, thanks so much for having me again. And thanks so much for hosting my course on Saturday. Very, very excited about that. Very, very thankful. I heard my wife walked in. Where's she at? Oh, there she is. Hi, wife. Um, I have a word for you. I'm just going to go right to it out of Mark chapter 4. Mark, Yeah, you're you're shocked, right? (laughs) Wow, there's no three minutes of comedy before we go to the scripture. It's not going to happen today. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. I'm going to read it out of the, the New International Version. And I prefer instead of you reading along uh, That you turn off your phones, close your Bibles Just write it down so you can read it later You know, I mean if you want to go back to it, that's great What I'd like you to do is just trust that I'm actually reading it out of the Bible (laughs) You don't have to check it, you know But I want you to like close your eyes I want you to hear it We come to church, you could read at home I want you to come to church to hear the word of the Lord And I want you to just picture, pretend you're one of the disciples and just picture what this is like. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. Let's pray. Father, I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would add understanding to our hearing and that you would add revelation to our understanding I thank you for this house and all who dwell in it and I pray that the words spoken tonight would strengthen and establish each one in Jesus name I pray amen in order for us to understand what happens in this circumstance we must understand the context in which this circumstance occurs before i explain to you the context in which this circumstance occurs i want you to understand a simple principle and the simple principle is that how you experience the world is dependent upon how you think about the world in fact, how you experience any circumstance is dependent on how you think about said circumstance. Two individuals can experience the same circumstance in radically different ways because they think radically differently about the same circumstance. Happens all the time when I meet with couples and I ask the husband first, it's so much fun, <laughs> how are things going in your marriage? And he smiles and goes, it's great! Great! And then I look at his wife and say, now tell me, how are things going in your marriage? And she says, it's horrible, and I'm ready to leave. Not always, but you get the point. Like, husbands, we are always shocked and surprised when our wives have a problem. We never, it's like we're in the same marriage, but experiencing the same marriage in radically different ways because we think in radically different ways. Today... (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Today I specifically want to talk to you about the way in which you experience a storm. And I want to begin by saying that the way in which you and I typically experience storms is radically different from the way in which God experiences storms. You and I experience storms... As a catastrophe. When you and I look up and see storm clouds, we see an impending catastrophe, something that can cancel your plans and make things inconvenient. A storm is a terrible thing, especially if you're out on a boat. We'll get to that in a second. But the way that God experiences storms is radically different. When God, first of all, we look up and see storms, and God looks down and sees a storm. We look up and see A catastrophe, God looks down and sees a vehicle. Psalm chapter 104, verse 3 says, He makes clouds his chariot. He makes the clouds his chariot. Isaiah chapter 19, verse 1 says, The Lord rides on a swift cloud. Now, when the Bible talks about him making the clouds his chariot and riding on a swift cloud, he's not talking about these white, fluffy things that look great in pictures. He's talking about these foreboding storm clouds. When God looks down, listen, God does not like to ride on still little white, fluffy clouds. He looks for the darkest, the most menacing storm cloud, the worse, the better. He looks down and says, I got a new whip. And I'm about to Holy Ghost ride it. God rides on the storm and we cry in the storm. We experience it as a catastrophe. God experiences the storm as a vehicle which means that when he wants the storm to go right he pulls the reins to the right and when he wants the storm to go left he pulls the reins to the left which means that he's always using the storm to fulfill his purpose he's always using the storm to go somewhere it means that when you're in a storm experiencing it from below God is above the storm directing the storm towards his good purpose in your life It means that when you walk through a storm, you think the storm is happening to you. Actually, God is happening to the storm because God does not allow any storm in your life to go its own way and to do its own thing. God simply jumps on that thing, ghost rides that whip and makes it go where he wants it to go and if you would begin to think about storms the way god thinks about storms you would begin to experience storms the way god experiences storms that is god wants to invite you to become a storm rider god wants to invite you to ride on storms with him and some of you right now are in the midst of a storm and you've been under it but by the time you walk out of this room you're going to be above it you've been the storm has been inflicted upon you but by the time you walk out of this room you're going to be ghost riding that storm with god with Jesus and the Holy Spirit, you're going to be in that whip on top of the storm, and you're going to ride out of here on that storm, knowing that that storm is carrying you right into the fullness of your destiny and God's intended purpose over your life. Come on, somebody. They didn't know what to do with that. I said, come on, somebody. Yep. Amen. Yes. (laughs) That's all right. We'll get you there. We'll get you there. Now you might say that's not fair, Benjamin. God is above the storm because he's God and he's in heaven and we're on earth. But Jesus was on earth. Jesus experienced the storm not as God in heaven, but as man on earth. That is the incarnation, Jesus coming to earth was about Jesus showing us how to walk through the storm as one who lives above it and not one who lives in it. That is he came to teach us how to ghost ride the storm. That's the name of my sermon, by the way, Ghost Ride the Storm. (laughs) Write that down, Ghost Ride the Storm. It's a new E40. (laughs) All right, now, going back to Mark chapter 4, how does this unfold? So what happens in Mark chapter 4 is that Jesus is teaching the multitudes and he's going through a whole bunch of parables. And uh, in verse 3, the scripture says that he, he gives this parable of the sower. He says, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow and some seed fell on the path and the birds came down and ate it up and some seed fell among uh, stones and it sprang up quickly but because it had no root when the sun scorched it, it died quickly and some fell on thorny ground and the thorns grew up and it choked it out and then others fell on, other seed fell on good soil and and it produced fruit, some 30, 60 and 100 fold and then he ends the parable by saying let him who has an ear, let him hear translation, if you understand what I'm talking about good for you because ain't many of y'all that get it And then Jesus goes back into the inner room at the end of the day with his disciples and they come to him and they say, can you please tell us what that parable meant? Because ain't none of us got any ears. It's, It's a trip that when God speaks, typically his people have no clue what he's talking about. That's okay, all of us. We're all in the same boat on that that end. So the disciples, they come in the inner room with Jesus, and and they say, can you please tell us what this parable means? And he's a little surprised in verse 13 of Mark chapter 4. Jesus says, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? Translation, this parable is the key to all of my parables. If you don't get this parable, you ain't going to get none of my parables. So I'm going to have to break this parable down so that you can understand all of my parables. This is literally the key. He says, now let, let, me, let me break it down for you. He says, when I, the, so first of all, the sower is the son of man and the seed is the word. So everywhere I go, I'm scattering seed. But 25% of the people that hear when I talk, 25% of y'all in this room right now, the seed is falling on the path and the birds are coming down and eating it up. Jesus says, let me tell you what that means. 25% of the people that hear me preach, Satan comes and steals the word before I'm even done speaking. Literally, it doesn't last. I mean, literally, they walk out of there like they didn't hear anything. Satan stole the word before the meeting was over. 25% of y'all in this room right now, are gonna walk right out. No, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, no. <laughs> nah, that was the last church I was speaking at. But y- <laughs> 25% of them didn't get nothing I said. Right? I mean, listen, the word came and the devil took every word. Literally, it was just strewn on the path. The word had zero effect on their lives. It went in one ear, out the other, and they left and they were completely unchanged, which means they did not even receive the word. But then the word that was sown on stony ground represents those who hear the word and accept it with gladness, meaning, they say amen. Woo, yeah. Woo! what a good, woo, Jesus. That was a good word, Jesus. Mm. They walk out of the church going, Jesus, preach today, girl. Mm. Mm. <laughs> well, what did he talk about? I don't know, but it was good. <laughs> they hear the word, they receive it with joy, but because they have no root, it says when tribulation or persecution comes, the word dies. It's like the sun scorches it and the word dies. As soon as there's a little trial, a little tribulation, a little persecution, or a little storm. Now, keep that in your mind. We're getting there. Okay? Stay with me. Stay with me. Then the third group is the the seed that was sown among thorns. Watch this. The seed sown among thorns, it actually has a root. It's actually good soil. It's just got extra stuff in it. You see, the thorns, the thorny area is actually good soil. The problem with good soil is that more than one thing can grow in it. And good soil requires stewardship. If your heart is good soil, it means you have a responsibility not only to receive and steward the word you receive, but to make sure nothing else, no other seeds get mixed into that soil because good soil means not only does God's word grow in you, but other stuff can take root in you as well. And Jesus said the seed that was sown on thorny ground represents those who hear the word, receive it with joy, and begin to grow to maturity. But just before they hit the point of maturity, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things choke it out so that it becomes unfruitful. But then the good soil represents those who hear the word, receive it with joy, and bear fruit, some 30, 60, 100 fold. Literally, Jesus is talking about four different dimensions of time. The first group, they lose the word immediately. The second group lose the word very quickly. The third group lose the word eventually. But the fourth group never loses the word. 25% keeps the word. Everybody else at some point, they lose the word. So Jesus says, Literally, what he's saying in this parable is you got to make sure that nothing hinders you from holding on to that seed of the word. You gotta make sure that once you've received my word, once I've given you the word, you've received it with joy. Make sure nothing chokes it out. You've got to guard the good deposit that was entrusted to your care. You've got to guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit. You've got to buy the truth and sell it not. You've got to watch your heart. You've got to guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. You must build a fence around that word that I'm sowing into your life and make sure that disappointment, discouragement, disillusionment, Dishonesty, uh, discouragement, uh, disillusionment. I said that already, but I, I need to say it again. You got to make sure nothing gets in there and becomes planted as seed. Make sure there's no root of bitterness that springs up and defiles many, right? And causes trouble and by it, many become defiled. You've got to steward that word. Every time you get a word from God, you've got to steward it and make sure nothing nullifies it or makes it unfruitful. And the disciples were like, that's great we're gonna do that from now on he's like you gonna do that they were like yeah we're gonna do that he goes all right cool let's go over to the other side you're gonna receive my word and nothing's gonna kill it right that's right good let's get in the boat and go over to the other side of this lake right now the first thing we must understand about this story is that it was Jesus who initiated the journey Jesus initiated the journey the disciples did not come to Jesus and say You know what? I think we need to go to the other side No, jesus came to the disciples and said it's time to go to the other side and it's time to go right now Let us go over to the other side. Jesus not only initiated the journey, but articulated the destination He said we are going over the other side He didn't just say let's get in a boat and let's just go where the wind takes us Let's just go out in the middle and see what happens. Let's just roll the dice and see if we make it across. No, he said, we are going to the other side of the lake. The problem is they thought Jesus was just speaking casually. First thing we need to understand is God never speaks casually. Now, you and I speak casually. Sometimes I speak so casually that I speak offensively. My wife recently made me take a sermon down off of our podcast because I was so offensive in that sermon. I spoke casually, and I had to take back. (laughs) Why do I let her come? (laughs) No, but see I need her here because otherwise I'll go off the rail and say some crazy stuff. But 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 Jesus, he never speaks casually. Jesus, you, Jesus has never had to apologize for anything that he has said. And he never will. You notice there's no apology coming from heaven for verses of scripture that we don't like. Come on somebody. <laughs> I'm going to leave that there. I'm not going to comment any further on that, but let's just, let's just say God has never, ever had to apologize for anything that he has said, and he never speaks casually. And, and so often, you know, God does this thing where he speaks something And then you think he forgot about it. You know, like Abraham, like, you're going to have a kid. You're going to have a kid. Watch. Matter of fact, you're going to be the father of many nations. Matter of fact, you ain't going to be able to count your kids. And then 20 years goes by, and he doesn't have any kids. And then, you know, in the middle of that, he goes to Hagar and has a kid. And then God comes back and says, now you're about to have kids. He says, no, I already got a kid. He goes, no, you did it your way. That was not my way. He goes, but yeah, that was 20 years ago, you know. The guy said, no, 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 I don't speak casually. I know it's been 20 years, but I haven't forgotten it. You might have forgotten what I said, but I don't forget what I said. The problem is God does not speak casually, neither does he speak episodically. We tend to think that God speaks for this episode. When God speaks, it's not just for this episode. No, what God says, listen, heaven and earth passes away, but his word does not pass away. Jesus said, let us go over to the other side, which means he initiated the journey and he articulated the destination. This was his will. And whenever you have a combination of a command and a promise from God, you are powerful if you recognize it as such. They had a command, let us go. And they had a promise, over to the other side. Command and promise is the most powerful way in which God speaks to his people. And if you have both, nothing is more powerful. They get in the boat, and the scripture says, a few, oh, by the way, watch this. It says, <clears throat> leaving the crowd behind, they took him along as he was in the boat. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along. Isn't it interesting that he told them it's time to go, but they, when it was actually time to go, they had to take him? Imagine this. Jesus says, let's go over to the other side. And they go, all right. Okay, all right. Let's go over to the other side. Jesus, come on. You said, let's go to the other side. He goes, and he's still standing there. Finally, somebody had to take him by the arm and say, come on, Jesus. You said we're going to the other side. Come on, let's go. Now, now watch this. It's interesting that sometimes God has to pull us into the boat, but most of the time, God tells us it's time to go and then waits for us to pull him into the boat. Let me explain. I have a little girl, a nine-year-old daughter. When I tell her, it's time to go, it's time for you to go to school, it is 7.55, we need to be in that car in three minutes, it's time for you to go, what do I get? Okay, all right, fine, stop rushing me. (laughs) Are you ready to go? Yes, I'm ready to go, so then I go down to the door. How come you're not coming? I can't find my shoes, I can't find my coat. I can't find my shoes. Well, you said you were ready to go. Having on your shoes and your coat is part of being ready to go. Okay, okay. Then I get the bad attitude. Baby girl, put on your shoes and your coat. It's time to go. Okay, that's what we're like most of the time when God speaks to us. Right? It's like, I know God's telling me that I'm not supposed to be in this restaurant, this relationship, but I can't find my shoes. I can't find my coat. Okay. I know God told me to go back to school, but I can't find my shoes. I know the Lord told me to start tithing, but I can't find my shoes. Okay. But if I were to say to my daughter, get your shoes and coat, we're going to In-N-Out and to get some boba. She would be at the door in eight seconds flat going, Daddy, get your shoes! Where is your coat? I said, hold on, baby girl. I'm going to take you in a minute. No, you said we are going to in and out And to Boba, you get your shoes and your coat right now! And before, if two minutes went past and I wasn't there, she would go to where I was and start pulling me into the boat. See, this is the theology of prayer. God initiates the journey, but we have to take him into the boat. Prayer is when we discern the promises of God and we begin to move God to fulfill what he has initiated. And he always leaves a space to invite our participation. They took him into the boat, just as he was, and it says, there were also other boats with him, which I love, because... These are folks that Jesus had not spoken to, but just decided to come along anyway. These were folks, they weren't even part of the 12. Do you realize there was the 12 disciples? These are, the 12 were the individuals that Jesus approached and said, come follow me. There were 120 others who followed Jesus everywhere. And they saw the 12 going, they're like, we going with them. (laughs) Did Jesus tell you to come? I bet the 12 were even like, did Jesus tell you to come? No, but he didn't tell me to leave. I'm going to follow him till he tells me to leave, okay? You know how it says Jesus would go into the inner room and talk to his 12? They didn't have windows back then. I mean, the windows were just openings. The 120 would be sticking their heads inside the window, listening to the stuff Jesus is saying to the disciples in the inner room. Do you realize that the 12 had direct obedience, but the 120 had indirect obedience, meaning Jesus had not spoken to them. They're simply following someone that Jesus had spoken to. In every season of your life, you either better make sure that you're following Jesus directly or that you're following in the direction of obedience. And and sometimes you're following somebody else. Sometimes you're like, I see Jesus there. I see this person following Jesus. Jesus, I haven't had no visions or revelations, but I'm going that way. That's where Jesus is going. That's where I'm going. And they're like, you got a boat, dog? You got a boat? Who got a boat? You got a boat? We're going, Jesus is is leaving. Shoot, if I got to swim, I'm following Jesus. And I feel, I feel bad for the 12, but it was easier for them. They had Jesus in the boat with them. These other 120 in their little boats, they didn't know what was going on. <laughs> it says, a furious squall arose. I like that word, arose. In the NIV, it said, rose up, or what did it say in the NIV? I forgot. I don't like the NIV anyway, but in the... In, <laughs> sorry did I say that out loud see I got to take I got to strike that from the the minutes no (laughs) that was fake news Uh, (laughs) um, it said a furious squall arose now when you attribute an emotion like fury to weather this is extreme weather right this furious squall arose it like it, it, when something rises up especially that word arose is very biblically important right when something rises up it means it's it's time there's a time for whenever something arises you know David talks about uh, the Lord is my light and my salvation whom shall I fear and then he says um, though an army may arise against me uh, though an army may encamp against me my heart shall not fear the war may rise against me and this will I be confident like there's this time when war arises or what's the cry let God arise and let his enemies be scattered like we're waiting for that time when God will arise or when he says in Isaiah 60 arise shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you what we see is that there was this time for the storm and when it was the time the storm arose and it presented itself the problem is the moment the storm arises we want God to arise But there's always a a delay there's a period of time in which the storm arises because it's 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 the storm's time but God hasn't arose yet and what do we do in that interim between when the storm arises and when God arises it said a furious squall arose and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped nearly swamped meaning it was in, within an inch of the end. It was like right at the point of all over is done. And then it says, Jesus was in the stern asleep on a cushion. And I love the fact that they add that. <laughs> he wasn't just sleeping. He was asleep on a cushion. <laughs> Literally, Jesus got on the boat and said, I'm about to get as comfortable as I possibly can because this is going to be good. (laughs) Now, now you got to understand when when I when I read this. I mean, sometimes we realize that for years we have these images in our head that are we don't even know where we got it from, but it's just there. Since I was a little kid, when I've envisioned this picture, I envisioned like a double decker boat. Like, like, you have to go down the stairs, and Jesus is like in a cabin underneath, you know, on a cushion. But actually, uh, fishermen's boats were not like that in the first century. A fisherman's boat matter of fact, they excavated a fisherman's boat in the middle of the 20th century about 50 years ago. They excavated one out of the Sea of Galilee. and this was a common boat for fishermen, and it was 27 feet long and seven and a half feet wide and about four and a half feet deep. So this is, I mean, it's, it's, it's a pretty small boat compared. This is not like a huge yacht, right? You know, it's not like a pirate ship, <laughs> right? You know, like this is a fisherman's boat, which means he's on the, now watch this, and the stern is the furthest back of the boat. It's the back part of the boat. It's also called, uh, it's, the, it's, it's the back part of the boat, okay? So Jesus literally goes to the back of the boat puts up a cushion lays down a cushion lays out a cushion and then just reclines and falls asleep just he's just back there snoring and whistling and then the storm arises and the storm is not enough to wake him up he's still asleep and the the waves are breaking over the boat which means and i never got this before the waves are also breaking over jesus like literally he's getting soaked and he's still asleep and the waves are just hitting him not enough it's not significant enough to wake him up catastrophe is not significant enough to wake God up he's not moved by catastrophe I mean he's still asleep he's setting an example for his disciples he's like this Is how you handle a storm. Watch me. And the disciples saw the storm as an opportunity to fear. And Jesus saw the storm as an opportunity to nap. The boat was nearly swamped. But in the disciples' mind, nearly swamped is a prelude to fully swamped. In Jesus' mind, nearly swamped means the storm is measured and can't go another step further. Jesus says, let it try to go beyond nearly swamped. The disciples are like, any second it's going to go to fully swamped. And Jesus said, I'd like to see it try. In Jesus' mind, yeah, the storm's coming, but it's measured. It can't go any further. It can't. So why should I even wake up? You know, my wife has this powerful testimony about the last time she was in Indonesia, or one of these times she was in Indonesia, probably not last time. I'm probably going to tell the story wrong, so she'll, she'll correct me later. But one of these times she was in Indonesia, she was taking a boat from Nias Island to Telo Island, and it's about a six-hour speedboat ride. So it's, were you there, Ilani? Yeah, Ilani was there too. And so on this speedboat, uh, they have this motor on the back, and, um, and the motor broke, and fell off and the guy caught it just before it fell into the ocean right so literally without the and they're out in the middle like three hours out two hours out something like that right so without that motor they're like they're dead right <laughs> you know and then it starts storming right it's like it starts like raining and there's big waves and they're in this little speedboat right and so they're like they're like Jerry like ghetto rigging this this motor onto the boat and it keeps stopping and, and then falling and they grab it and they catch it you know it's like any minute now we're gonna die right so now the team, the team, they they go into Shanda Mabotai mode. You know they're over the court. Oh no, 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 You know what I mean? Like they're 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 crying out to the Lord of the Winds and the right. And and my wife, she said, I couldn't for some reason in my heart, I could not, I couldn't get excited about it. Like I just, she's like, I knew I should be excited about, it, but I couldn't. Like I just couldn't fear. And so I said, Lord, what do you want to do? Now, even these guys, these fishermen, they're scared, right? They're like, we're about to die out here. But my wife asked the Lord, what should we do? And the Lord said, take a nap. Take a nap. So the team looks at Sunny and goes, what should we do? She goes, I don't know what y'all are doing. The Lord told me to take a nap. (laughs) And she lays down and falls asleep. And so the other members of the team, they just stop shondoing. And they went to sleep too. And when they woke up, guess where they were? They were in Tello. And actually, they made it there in record time. They made it there much quicker than they would have made it if there had been no storm and no problem. Like, isn't it a trip that the storm actually accelerates your journey towards your destination? (laughs) Nearly swamped is not the same thing as fully swamped. Some of you are in a place right now where your life is nearly swamped. Let me tell you something. It can't go beyond nearly. Let it try. You got somebody in your boat that's greater than the storm. He will not allow it to go beyond nearly. Now, but however, watch this. It says Jesus was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. They woke him and said, teacher, do you not care that we are drowning? the NKJV says teacher don't you care that we are perishing present tense don't you care that right now we are drowning and he looks at him like you don't look like you're drowning to me (laughs) like you're already drowning not a drop of water in your lungs but you're already drowning but it's filling up the boat yeah but you're not drowning till it's filling up your lungs you see, you got to learn that there's a difference between water on your boat and water in your lungs. Some of you are dying, right? You think you're dying because the water's on your boat. Water in your boat is not water in your lungs. Now, don't. But you see what they're saying. Do you not care that we are already dying? That we're dying right now? Already. Why are they dying right now? Because they are anticipating death. And whatever you anticipate, you experience in advance. That's the definition of anticipation. Anticipation is actually a prophetic reality. You are prophetically experiencing in advance that which has not yet come. But you're using your gift of prophecy to prophetically experience the wrong stuff. You're supposed to be experiencing the stuff that your eyes have not seen and your ears have not heard and your minds have not conceived, the stuff that God has prepared for those who love him, but you're not experiencing any of that. You're already drowning, but you don't have a drop of water in your lungs. You're already imagining what it's going to be like when the water overtakes your lungs. You are already prophetically anticipating the end of your life and you're dying. How many times have you said that? So, how are you doing? I'm dying. I'm dying. Really, you don't look like you're dying to me. I'm dying. I can't stand my boss. I'm dying. I'm dying. My marriage is is so tough right now. I'm dying. Thirty people got laid off in my office. I'm sure I'm next. I'm not saying you're not next. (laughs) I'm just saying, how about we don't freak out till we actually get the pink slip? Like, I'm not saying nothing bad will ever happen to you. That's a lie. I'm not saying you'll never suffer. I'm just saying, how about waiting till you're actually suffering before you start suffering, right? (laughs) Like, (laughs) you know, like... (laughs) I mean, bad stuff will happen in life. I mean, that's just life, but I'm just, I'm just trying to make a decision that when that bad stuff happens and it hurts, then I'll feel the pain. But how about not, how about if you just made a decision to save your prophetic anticipation for the Lord, like your life would be so much better. Like I'll suffer when something bad happens, but until then, I'm just going to anticipate the supernatural intervention of God and expect a miracle. And then when something bad does happen, you know what I'm going to do? Yeah, I'm going to deal with that. I'm going you know, to face the fact, but I'm still going to anticipate the supernatural intervention of God. Yeah. Like, the only thing I'm looking for in tomorrow is the supernatural intervention of God. Like, I'm believing that at some point in this mess, God is going to arise. But the disciples had lost all anticipation that Jesus was going to do anything. Why did they lose the anticipation? Because tribulation... Was choking out the word that he gave them at the beginning of the journey when he said, Let's go over to the other side. They forgot because the storm hit them. Remember, they were just telling Jesus, you're right, you know what? We're gonna do that. We're not gonna let no tribulation, you know, we're not gonna let no persecution to tribulation, you know, keep us from from stewarding that word. Shoot, we got the word. We heard, we your disciples, we heard what you said, and then as soon as a little rain comes, oh Lord, we're dying. don't you care that we are perishing literally the disciples are baffled like look at Jesus over there sleeping while we're doing all the work he needs to get up and get a bucket that's that's actually what they were thinking they were thinking he should be over here working with us that's how we tend to think about God he ain't doing nothing Somebody wake Jesus up. Look, I know you're the Messiah and all, but you need to get a bucket. We all about to drown. And he wakes up and he looks at them and then he stands up. It says, then he arose. Crazy. First, the storm arose. It was its time. And then Jesus arose. It was his time. Let me tell you something. I don't care what arises. When God arises, his enemies are scattered. Those who hate him turn and run away from him. I'm telling you that when God arises, everything changes. It says, then he arose. When Jesus arose, it was as if to, and, and you don't stand up on a boat where there's this big storm, right? Especially on a little boat like that, he arose. He stood up in the middle of the boat. They were like, sit down, Lord. You're about to be washed overboard. And he looked at the wind, and it says, and he rebuked the wind. I looked at that word in the Greek. It means he censured the wind. It means he restricted or forbade the wind. He said to the wind, you bad boy. You bad boy. Bad boy. I got two dogs, and one of them's really smart but kind of ugly. The other's really cute but really dumb. and the cute dumb one just drives me crazy she's so cute she's so lucky she's cute we'd have got rid of her a long time ago dumb as a doorknob I put them outside in the morning so they could do their business I'll leave, sometimes I leave them out there for two hours and as soon as I open the door she'll come in and just pee on the carpet right like literally as soon as she like she's waiting at the door going let me in I gotta pee you dumb dog You're holding it outside. What is wrong with you? And when she does something like that, I rebuke her. Stop that. No! The other night, last night actually, we had some folks, was it last night or the night before? One of them nights, we had some folks over at our house and we let them in from outside and and Joy, she's like, she's a baby. You know, she's only like 12 weeks old but she's, you know, she's, you know, bouncing around and and she forgets what she's doing. Like she starts running towards something. You can see what she's running toward on the way. She's like, What's that? And she and she plays with that. And she, what's that? She's like she's got like a, a two second memory, right? And so um, all of a sudden, while she's bouncing around, we see her getting the squatting position, and we're like, no, 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 stop, stop that! And it was too late, and it wasn't even pee pee, and I rebuked her. I had to pick her up and put her in the kitchen and clean up, clean up after her, but censure, Stop that. No, no, no. Stop that. Jesus, he looks at the window and he's like, no, no, stop, stop, stop it. You stop that right now. <laughs> the way my mama used to rebuke us. She said, boy, sit down before I come over there and lay hands on you suddenly. I'm going to slap you so hard you're going to have six visions, five dreams, and four revelations. Do you want to see Jesus? I can arrange a meeting. I will slap you through the great tribulation. You will wake up on the streets of gold. (laughs) She called it the laying on of hands because when my mom used to lay hands on us, we got healed. (laughs) The way we used to walk, we didn't walk no more. (laughs) in scripture there's two different entities that get rebuked the first is children and the second is demons and in Jesus ministry he never rebuked a child matter of fact he rebuked his disciples for the way they treated children that's another sermon but he rebuked demons and he rebuked wind he rebukes stop it that's enough when God arises he speaks to the storm and says you've taken us far enough now you stop you're done he draws the line in the sand and then he says to the waves peace be still and there was a great calm and then he looks at his disciples and says why are you so fearful how is it that you have no faith it's interesting they say to him how is it that you're sleeping and he says to them how is it that you're not believing like they have two completely different perspectives of what's happening here the disciples perspective is lord the rational thing for you to be doing is freaking out with us and jesus says no 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 the rational thing for you to be doing is sleeping with me what you should have done was cuddled up next to me so Lord if you sleep and we sleep in and if we all drown it's your fault. <laughs> and believe it or not that's the right perspective. Like Lord, maybe you want us to drown. If so, we're going to drown with you. If you're drowning we're drowning. That's what Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. When I see the Father grab a bucket and start pushing water overboard, that's what I'll do. But until then, I'm going to do what I see the Father doing. The Father's at rest, I'm going to rest. How is it that you have no faith? Your fear is a symptom of your lack of faith. Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Why? Because, number one, Jesus gave them a very simple command and promise. Did you forget that I told you we're going to the other side? Have you forgotten that I'm not a man that I should lie, nor the Son of Man that I should change my mind? Do you still think I speak casually? I told you we're going to the other side. Don't you realize that heaven and earth may pass away, but my word does not pass away? How is it that you have no faith? The disciples are baffled that Jesus is not afraid. Jesus is baffled that they are not believing. And matter of fact, there's only two times in the Bible that talks about Jesus marveling. The first is at the faith of the centurion. The centurion sends a messenger and says, I'm not worthy that you should even come in my house. You ain't even got to come in my house. Just say the word, my servant will be well. And Jesus was like, dang, that brother got some faith. He's like, you know what? Womp, there it is. And right then, his sermon was made well, too. Dang! But then Jesus goes to Nazareth, and they had no belief. They had no faith. They were like, we don't believe you can do anything. He was like, dang. These people ain't got no faith. And it said, not many miracles could he do because of their unbelief. Jesus marvels at faith and at unbelief. That's the only thing that makes him marvel. He looks at his disciples, and he's like, I don't get it. I'm totally confused here. You want to see God confused? Just doubt him. God... You don't believe me? Uh, uh, I'm at a loss for words, guys. And I spoke and created the heavens and the earth. And I don't know what to say here. You don't believe me? Like, what have I done to prove myself unfaithful? Why is it? How is it? How is it possible that you have no faith? Maybe you've allowed tribulation or persecution. Maybe you've allowed the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, or the desire for other things to choke out the word so that it becomes unfruitful. How do you ghost ride the storm? Let me tell you how you ride the storm with God. You remember the simple instruction that he gave you. And you focus all your mind and heart on it. I've gone through more storms. My wife and I have gone through more storms this year than we've ever gone through in a year. I mean, it's like storm, 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 storm. I can't even get to describe the kind of storms in how many different countries we've gone through this year. And we're still in the middle of, a, of multiple storms. But every time I pray and I talk to the Lord about it, all I hear him say is, what did I tell you to do? And I just have a very, just simple, clear sense of what he told me to do 15 years ago. I said, Lord, this is what you told me to do. He says, did I tell you to stop? No? Okay, then keep doing that. In the midst of the storm, the only thing I have left is obedience. And that's the purpose of the storm. To strip you down to a place where you've got nothing left but simple obedience because what the storm does is it begins to break things off of your life and strip things out of your life and we always freak out when stuff gets broken down and stuff gets shifted out. I love that passage of scripture in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 25 and following when God says once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens. And then verse 26 says the words once more indicate the removal of the things that can be shaken so that that which cannot be shaken might remain. And then it says we are receiving since we are receiving an unshakable kingdom, let us worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire literally when you're walking through a storm and stuff is being shaken all around you you need to stop looking at the stuff that's being shaken and start looking at the stuff that's not being shaken because the important thing is what's not being shaken and sometimes you don't have clarity on the things that are that are eternal the things that God has put in your life the things that are of his purpose until you walk through a storm and stuff that you used to depend on and stuff that you thought was great suddenly gets shaken out of your life You say, I might have lost my car and I might have lost my house, but I haven't lost my wife and I haven't lost my dog. It's not yet a country song. (laughs) Instead of crying about what I've lost, how about I just... Walk in thankfulness for what I haven't lost. I'm going to look at what's not being shaken. And all of a sudden, the stuff that's not being shaken becomes more important. Strengthen the things that remain. And all of a sudden, when you begin to strengthen the things that that remain, and you begin to focus on simple obedience and simple faithfulness to God, do you know what happens when you're walking through a storm? Number one, clarity becomes the fruit of adversity. There's stuff that wasn't clear to you till you walk through that storm. And God says, you know what? I'm going to clarify some stuff for you. Here comes a storm. And he just comes riding it. And when the storm's over, you freaked out the whole time. But when it was over, you looked back and said, now I understand some things that I didn't understand before. And not only clarity, but surrender. You remember the disciples come to Jesus. And to come to Jesus and wake him up, they had to come to a point where they put their buckets down where all of their efforts to keep the ship from being fully swamped you see, they, why didn't they wake him up immediately? Because they thought, we have to keep striving. We've got to keep working. We've got to keep the ship afloat. We've got to keep the ship from going under. And at a certain point in the journey, they put their buckets down and said, you know what? We could use these buckets for the next 10 years and we would never be able to, sh- to save this ship. We need to wake Jesus up. We don't know what he's going to say and we don't know what he was, he's going to do, but it's time for us to stop all of our striving and turn to Jesus and they came to him in full surrender even though unbelief it's funny that surrender can function even in the midst of unbelief Lord I don't get it but I'm here I have no clue what you're doing but I'm still here I don't understand what you're doing in my life right now but I'm coming to you anyway and it was at their moment of surrender they, they couldn't shout across the boat and wake him up while they continued to strive he would have kept sleeping Jesus said I'm going to teach you how to ride the storm from within it I'm going to teach you how to live like you're above the storm even while you're in the storm I'm going to teach you how to be in the world but not of the world I'm going to teach you how to walk by faith and not by sight. I'm going to teach you how to do what you see the Father doing. I'm going to teach you how to walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. I've been meditating on Isaiah 11 that talks about this rod emerging from the stump of Jesse and a branch emerging from his roots and it says, and the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord and he will not judge by the seeing of his eyes nor decide by the hearing of his ears. Do you realize that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you don't judge anymore by the seeing of your eyes, you don't decide by the hearing of your ears you're not living according to a worldly standard anymore you're not making decisions based upon your own human wisdom but suddenly you begin to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on on your own understanding in all your ways you begin to acknowledge him so that he might direct your paths Jesus is calling you to a higher place we tend to think the higher place is the place at which he ends the storm No, the higher place is the place at which we make a decision like Jesus to see to it that the storm outside never makes its way inside. Because the difference between Jesus and his disciples is that for Jesus, the storm was outside, but not inside. But for the disciples, the storm was outside and inside. And Jesus wanted to teach them how to live at peace, even in the midst of the storm. And that's what today's lesson is all about. Let's pray. Where's Stephen? Okay. Father, I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would speak to each and every heart. I thank you that you've spoken to each and every heart. But Lord, I pray that there would not be one in this place that would be like the seed sown on the path And we just rebuke the devourer, the thief that comes to steal, to kill and to destroy. That the word would not be stolen from any heart or any mind. And Lord, some of us are like the seed sown in rocky places, but we pray you would remove the stones. That you would take away from us the heart of stone and give us the heart of flesh. That you'd put your spirit in us, that we would live. And Lord, that those amongst us that have some thorns in our hearts, we pray that you would remove remove the thorns, anything that would choke out the word and make it unproductive. I pray that you would cause your word to become for us today an anchor. That we would be able from this moment on to set our minds on you in the midst of any storm. God is our refuge and strength a very present help in time of trouble therefore we will not be moved though the earth be moved though the mountains crumble and fall into the midst of the sea though the, though the ocean rage with its surging say la, there is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her even at the break of dawn. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And Lord, I pray today that each and every heart would find you to be a refuge. A very present help in time of need. God, where we've trusted in our buckets. I just sense there's some in this house tonight you've been struggling. You've been struggling by yourself and in your own power to take all that water off your boat. You're just there with a bucket, struggling. And today God is calling you to lay down your bucket. You can't save it. Come to the feet of Jesus. He's ready to be awakened. He's ready to arise. He's ready to rebuke the wind and the waves. But he's going to rebuke the wind and the waves inside of you before he rebukes the wind and the waves outside of you. The storm that's raging on the outside might not stop for a while, but that's okay because God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not be moved. I want you to just begin to say that tonight. We will not be moved. I will not be moved. I will not be moved.